Welcome to the Sexy Sacred Space podcast. I'm your host, CJ Thomas, and I interview radical human beings with innovative views on what it means to be sexy, sacred, and balanced, both externally and within themselves. We talk about everything from disrupting the status quo to powerful esoteric self-care practices, embracing social change, and more. This show was created to help you make and take up your own sexy, sacred space. So let's go. Welcome to the Sexy Sacred Space podcast. I'm your host, CJ Thomas, and today I'm bringing you a super important episode that I hope will challenge you to step outside and reconnect with nature. We live in a time where we are so constantly being pulled in by technology, and most of our lives are spent on cell phones, computers, or watching screens. We're constantly being inundated with artificial light and fast-paced media. It's how we connect with our friends, it's how we connect with our family, and a lot of times it's even how we connect with ourselves. But as we seep deeper and deeper into a techno-based lifestyle, are we fully aware of how it's affecting our connection to the truth of who we are? How nature is the root of who we are and the existence of who we are has been something that we have been letting go of in these past decades. And so being in right relationship with nature is more important now more than ever. In today's episode, I have a special guest that I've gone through so much transformation with in this life. It's my good friend, Manu Afshar. He's an artist and an emotional activist, an environmental activist, and a lover and keeper of the wild. He currently works as an outdoor school counselor, promoting programs that help children learn how to cultivate a deeper ecological understanding and grow towards being stewards of the land. He's also pursuing his master's in marine biology, which allows him to stay in touch with the depths of the ocean and the planet. I asked him to come onto the show today to share his perspective on just how deeply connected to the nature of this planet we truly are and how we can reconnect and rekindle that connection. So welcome, Manu. Well, thank you so much for having me. What a wonderful inter our uh, preamble. No. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, you know how I get when it's the recording girl. It's hard. Oh, God. It's like my words get stuck in my mouth. Where are they even? Where are they even? They're right here. They're here and you're here. And I'm so happy that you're here. You have a perfect voice for radio. <laughs> but you also have a face for TV. So hopefully you can make it to the screen one day. Well, for anybody who wants to see me on a screen, check out Banyan Botanicals YouTube channel where you can see me talking oh. about Ayurveda. Hey, hey <laughs> This is so goofy. What's what's great about this interview today is that my friend Manu and I, we are just like incredibly crazy together. Absolutely goofy and amazing. And so it's gonna be really really fun and not just super serious, but there's some serious aspects to this interview too, because we are talking about reconnecting to nature and reconnecting to the natural being that is this human existence and it cannot exist without a connection to the wild. And so it's going to be a fun one. Um, but before we really yeah, dive into that, sexy, right? 
yeah, we got to make it sexy. We got to make it fun. Um, but before we dive into that, I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody that comes on to the show. And that is, how are you making space in the world or taking up space for yourself these days? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it's challenging for a lot of people to feel like they have the right to make space for themselves or they feel guilty for making space for themselves because oftentimes making space means putting aside the hustle. Mm. Um, you know, for me, that's what it means. For me, it means like taking time to connect with what my authentic desires are um, feeding the parts of myself that aren't fed when I'm just going through the motions of life. Um, and, you know, it really makes us able to show up for all the other different parts of our life in such a more potent way if we find ways to feed and nurture the parts of ourselves that are not, um, inherently fed by our actions so for me that means coming into stillness it means finding space where I can I'm not expected to to speak or to perform because I think a lot of how I survive in um, the human world is by sort of performing um, keeping up a certain persona and not necessarily that's inauthentic, but that is, um, it's work to uh, engage with people and try to send the message that I want to send by living the life I want to live. And I think that the way that I, that I show up for myself, the way that I take up space is by connecting to that really quiet inner voice that only emerges when you have enough space from obligations and other people to really listen and sometimes that just looks like laying in bed and other times that looks like you know stretching in my room or going for a walk I mean honestly that's where where most of my best work happens is just going on a walk um and all, you know, connecting with that inner voice and that stillness really makes me able to show up when it's important, um, engaging with other people, um, you know, showing up for injustice, um, speaking my truth. So that's, that's how I would answer that question. Thank you. What a beautiful response. And there are just so many juicy bits in that response that... I want to ask you about um, the first being, you know, you're talking about listening to that inner voice. And what's kind of cool about this episode, I think, is that while we're talking about connecting to nature, I think we're going to be able to help listeners understand that it doesn't always mean going out and hugging a tree, you know, um, and that inner voice, the nature of yourself, like how, how did you cultivate the listening ear for that voice or the understanding of what that sounds like inside of you? I think that's a very good question again. I mean, I often take it for granted because it's something that I can just kind of like slide into at this point. <clears throat> and I've forgotten what it was like before that. But 
really it is just a matter of listening it's like it's not listening with expectation there's this practice of you know it starts kind of with clearing your mind with like a meditative practice where you focus on your breathing and you notice the thoughts that are emerging and you're not identifying with them one way or another but really i think you know you can't listen for an answer if you don't ask a question and a practice that I have is asking a question, you know, that's how I start listening to that voice is, you know, a simple question is like, what do I need to know right now? And, you know, it, it depends where you direct that question. Like I could direct that question to the ocean. I could direct that question to a tree or I could direct that question to like my heart. And I think that that's what I mean when I say like that inner voice. So, you know, putting a hand over your heart, finding a place where you feel relaxed and comfortable and asking yourself a question and then not having an expectation about what the answer is going to look like when the answer is going to come. It's kind of like looking at those like 3D eye visuals, like, you know, those those pictures that are like, um, they're just a mess of images, but you have to look through them and then eventually a 3D image appears. Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like you relax and you let go of this like expectation, this need, this fixation. And then kind of the answer sort of emerges out of you. So that inner voice is like one that I connect with the heart. So like putting your hand over your heart, breathing, and like really just like identifying the voices in your head that are the mind and kind of putting them on silent you know that's you know it takes time and practice like anything but it's worth it you know anything that's difficult it's worth worth it you know what I mean Mm, absolutely yeah exactly I mean that's something that I've been really looking at lately is the the fact that whenever we want to change a habit in our lives or change something that we're doing or cultivate a new skill it's it's practice it's not easy but that's what makes it worth it is when we're able to step up to that adversity and there's actually um, an episode about adversity on this podcast and how important it is to to look at that and to meet it head on and I think that when we talk about regaining our connection to the wild I mean that's definitely going to bring up some resistance you know and some some fear I think um for a lot of people and so I also, you know, when you were saying earlier about how you also make space in the world for yourself by connecting with others in your community, it sparked this idea in my mind of how, oh, right, like other people and our community is also part of nature, whether we can really see that or not. And so for you, um, connecting to other people or connecting to the wild and having those conversations in both realms how do you, I mean, does resistance come up for you around that? Yeah, well, okay. So I almost feel like they are different things when you're talking about connecting with the wild and connecting with other people. And let me explain what I mean. Like, like in, we are natural beings, like we have an ecology in our behavior, in our social structures. So, you know, 
Um, the way that we interact with people is a combination of these forces that we have that imprint upon us, like our nature and our nurture. And a lot of us, well, I know probably all of us, grow up nurtured in, in civilization. And that sort of behavior is very different than I think we would exhibit in social structures outside of civilization, although I can't personally speak to that because I've never done it and I've not spent much time with many people who have. But I think it's important to make a distinction, you know, in terms of my definition um, between, between what is nature and what is not. And, you know, anyone can make the argument that it's all nature, you know, like anything that people build is nature because we're from nature, you know. And in my and I think it's useful to make the distinction between civilization and not civilization, not human human dominated ecosystems, um, because I think you know there's a, a a different experience when you're connecting with an ecosystem that is not human dominated, and of course there's like the legacy of human dominion everywhere, even in the wild. There's like you know telephone poles, plastic, trash roads, all of that. But um, I think that, you know, even there's a great example in Ashland, there's this park that is split in two. And on one side, it's like really manicured, managed. And then the other half, which is kind of like left to its own devices. And there's a different experience on either side of that river in that park. And while it's true that, you know, it's nature on both sides. There's a usefulness, I think, in making the distinction between the wild and what is not wild. And the reason is because it brings up a different kind of resistance. Like um, when I've spent time going out into places where I don't have the security of a car and a grocery store and electricity and, you know, a doctor's office, whatever, whatever your securities are, there is a part of you that emerges that is very primal, that is like afraid. And it, the resistance comes in facing all of your conditioning um, around how you view resources, like scarcity mindset versus abundance. All of a sudden, when you have a, a set amount of food or you're sharing with other people, you start to feel scared that you're going to run out of food. You start to feel, you know, trapped by other people. You start to feel like this outside of you, this wild becomes so much bigger and more capable of harming you. And there's a resistance that I think a lot of people have to going outside and going into these wild places because of that inherent fear, because of that commitment to comfort. I think that, you know, and then we also have these stories. Everybody has a story that like, you know, it's, you know, I don't have access to these places. You know, how privileged are you that you can be able to go to those places? And that's so valid um, to, to point out that, you know, some people have privilege and some people don't like I have an enormous amount of privilege to be able to have um, a job where I don't where I have the freedom to be able to 
walk out and, and I don't have to be on that set schedule and I have resources that I can come back to because of people that love and care for me that allow me to stay in their houses so I can I don't have to maintain that so there's this um, this aspect of privilege it's really important to recognize but what I'm the reason I brought that up is because you know we all have stories that of of limitation um, and I think that's a big resistance that I have is these stories that you know I can't make it happen the way I want it to happen or I can't you know that's for other people and I realized that those are really just stories I'm telling myself, not necessarily based in truth, you know, because they emerged before I even tried. But um, I think it's important for everyone to acknowledge the stories that are limiting their behavior, um, not because they're not true, but because maybe telling those stories is actually creating a reality. Um, so I guess I'm kind of on a tangent here, but maybe you can rein me back in a little bit. No, yeah, I think that everything that you were saying is so valid and it's true. And it's it's interesting because, yeah, that resistance that comes up um, to stepping outside of your comfort zone, I think is it's really something that bears looking at because it to me, like nature shows us both sides. Like you were speaking on the abundance and then also the fear of not having enough. And that, that world of comfort that we've created as humans that we've engineered for ourselves, that doesn't really reflect the truth of like what, where, what we came from, the roots of what we came from back in the times when we were living together and communities where we had to, you know, travel because of the seasons and forage for our food. And, you know, I was even um, looking at the meaning of Christmas. There was a really awesome astrological podcast that I was listening to about the astrological um, myths behind Christmas. And they were speaking on how this is a time of year where that scarcity really showed up for people in the past. And so they really were looking at how much more time do we have in these winter seasons? And will we have enough elk to hunt? Will we have enough food stored to get us through? And so I think it's just really beautiful what you were sharing about the fact that now in society these days, we really do have privilege. We have everything that we need almost at our fingertips. And sometimes even in different situations where we might not have as much money as others or access to, um, you know, organic foods or different things like that, we still have a certain level of privilege that historically we have never had before. Um, and so I think that that is something that dr almost drives us deeper or further and further away, I should say, from that nature, that connection to the wild and to who we are, where we truly came from. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you you brought up in the beginning, like a connection to the seasons, like, um, you know, living seasonally is not something that we really are willing to do. You know, I want to be able to go to the grocery store in the wintertime and get my oranges, girl, I need my vitamin C, yes. I need my ginger root, you know, it's like, we are so accustomed in, you know, in modern day Civ in America, um, to having access to 
a, a huge abundance of things. And, you know, while nature teaches abundance, it also teaches scarcity. You know, it really like, it can be barren. It can be like, if you make mistakes and you don't, if you don't prepare, you can end up in situations where there's serious consequences. And we don't really learn how to navigate that because there's such a buffer to our consequences. You know, we, we don't have, we are afforded the ability to not think ahead in terms of our food source, but that could change really rapidly, you know? Absolutely. And we're in a time where things are pretty unpredictable. The earth is shaking up, you know, and climate change is real and there are places experiencing all of these natural disasters that they maybe have never experienced before and so it's it's true that like the reality is if we don't foster this connection to the seasons if we don't understand about how to grow our food or um you know just how to to live in right connection and right relationship with our planet we're really going to miss out on the knowledge that we need that I think is going to help us survive in the future. Um, and, and seasonally as well, another thing that really comes to mind for me is emotions and how we are cyclical beings. And so whether, whether we're connected to it or not, I, I think it's really cool and, and super important to understand how the seasons affect us. I mean, you're in the Pacific Northwest and seasonal depression is a real super prominent thing there. And in other places in the world, maybe it's not so much, but I'm sure that people notice that in the wintertime, they feel a lot more like disconnected from other people or sadness more often, or maybe feel a little bit more inward and might judge themselves for it. And so can you kind of speak on how you personally connect your emotions to the seasons, um, just what that looks like for you. Yeah, you know, when you're talking, you're bringing up a lot of things in me about how Civ really wants to buffer us against those cycles. Um, like, it's essentially like, whatever city you're in, whatever time of year it is, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, the temperature inside the building is going to be the same. You know, the the music that you're hearing, the sights and the sounds are all going to be kind of the same. And and people compensate a lot for, for these natural rhythms. And I don't think they recognize they're even doing it. Like, um, I think, you know, I'm personally drawn to chocolate and caffeine in the wintertime because I want to try to maintain this sort of like pace that I have in the summertime and springtime. Um, in the harvest time, you know, I want to like maintain this sort of momentum because that's the expectation. You know, you got to hustle, you got to make that coin, you got to like be on your projects, like because you are essentially in our society judged by what you've accomplished and no one wants to be left behind. So there's this like sense that we have to keep producing, which isn't, um, you know, the hallmark of capitalism and of cancer cells you know it's just like unex like unfettered production you know to the point where it's not listening to a rhythm it's not stopping it's just go 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 and you know when when i made the connection between capitalism and cancer it really started to make a lot of sense to me you know unfettered growth is not a, a natural thing you know when you look outside of the window 
you don't see populations of animals or plants growing nonstop. Even the ones that are invasive species that come in and like totally proliferate, they stop. You know, they have like a growing season and a stopping and, a, and an inward season where they die back. And, you know, maybe that's not true with lionfish in the Caribbean where it's summer all the time, but that's a totally different ecological system. This is the seasons are totally different. It's like the stormy season and the chill season or whatever. Um, hot season. But I think the point is that <clears throat> we want to override these natural cycles because the expectations of civilization are not in line with the natural cycles. So it actually is an act of activism to take back a connection with those natural cycles because you're resisting a system that is essentially a cancer in the natural world. I mean, if you look at the earth body as a body and you look throughout time, you know, the effect that the relationship with humans has not always been one of, of disharmony. And in this current state, you know, the body of the earth is going on undergoing some severe changes, which, you know, she's gone through so many changes in life. You know, she's had moments where it was all ice moments where it was like raining lava, whatever moments where 95% of all life went extinct. But what we're seeing now is human motivated changes that are extremely rapid, like the ice caps melting, like Australia being on fire, like this intense fire season that we're going to be seeing in the Northwest in California. Um, you know, the oceans warming, all these things. So the point um, being that we want to resist a system that is imposing a continual cycle of growth. And you can do that by connecting with with the natural rhythms. And I know you asked me about emotions, so I'll move toward that. Um, so for me, the natural cycles are... I'm very deeply connected to the natural cycles because I started paying attention to it. I think everybody is, like you're saying, we all connected to it. It's just a matter of how much attention you're giving to those cycles and how much you're letting yourself be taken by those cycles. Um, so, you know, the summer is this amazing time. It's of bounty. It's of movement. It's of excitement. Like, you know, up in the Northwest, we have long, long days and I get to just, I push myself. I go all day. You know, I have projects. I don't even need to eat as much. And then the fall comes and I start to, I start to really recognize the things that I grew in the year that no longer serve me. So that's really, for me, a time of letting go of behaviors, um, and of um, I thought patterns that really don't I don't want to take forward with me, and that honestly is probably the most painful part of the year because I hate to let go of things. But um, like we're in the winter right now where I'm at, and there's no leaves on the trees, you know, except for the coniferous trees, um, and it's cold. And nature is teaching me about the quiet and about finding beauty in the, on the inside, you know, um, 
I saw some really beautiful birds outside of my window today and they look so plump and bright yellow and they're just, you know, they're set. They've like accumulated their resources and they're just holding out through the winter time. But in all the while, they're sporting these beautiful yellow coats, you know, it's just like, you know, you can go into those places of, of deep darkness and of lack of connection or lack of excitement and you can still be beautiful and powerful and honestly I think it makes you more beautiful and powerful to go into those deep dark places and to connect with that inner light and I really think that that's what the winter is about for me and for you know people throughout time have talked about this who've gone through winter seasons is just about finding that inner light. I think that's a lot of what our holiday celebrations are about. And uh, yeah, it can be dark in there, but it's worth every inquiry to go in there. Mm, Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, and then after the winter comes spring and it's this beautiful time of like taking everything that we've cultivated in the depths and the dark and allowing ourselves to bear fruit with it, to to blossom into whatever it is that we're bringing into the world next. And it's really cool. You see that externally, you see that, I, I see that for everybody, womb holders or not, but then we also see it for womb holders as well. And um, in the teachings that I do around and that I have learned around our cycle, it's also connected to the seasons. And so it's really cool that in every way, even though we're living in this space where, you know, civilization is cutting us off from nature, we are still fiercely holding on to it. And I love just kind of backtracking a little bit that you really spoke on the fact that we are living in a time where constant growth is promoted. It's encouraged. People are, and especially around the time that we're recording this, um, you know, the new year, I mean, it's like, all you see everywhere is new year, new you. How are you going to grow and change and be different and all these things? And yes, change is beautiful, but this is once again, that time of the year where it's not necessarily that we are looking at how can we grow? We're actually looking at how can we just be and how can we just go inward, be introspective, observe ourselves, observe what has happened in this cycle that has just passed, this whole year cycle that has just passed. And how can we take what we need with us and let go of what we don't? And I think another really beautiful lesson from nature that we can pick up with or pick up on is like with fall and how you said all the trees are gone or all the leaves are gone from the trees. Um, And it's just like, yeah, you know, the trees show us the importance of letting things go, the importance of being able to shed our layers and, and make room for something new. So I think that's really, really important and really beautiful. Um, And I thank you just for speaking on your own emotional journey through the seasons. I know that something else that we've talked about, and I think something that will be really fun for our listeners to think about too, is the fact that not only are we emotionally connected to nature and physically connected, but we are also sexually connected to nature as well. And so, yeah, let's talk about that eco-sexuality, girl. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I love, I love talking about this because 
it's just, you know, in nature, there's no judgment for who you are. You know, there's not really this um, book of rules. There's not really this set idea of what is right and wrong. Um, you know, I think there's certain agreements that um, organisms make within the system to exist in a harmonious way. But there's, like, when you, the more I venture out into the world of um, the wild, the more that I see that, you know, who I am is not, there's no judgment for it. It's not like you're, you're wrong or you're right. And I identify as um, a gay person, a queer person, and there's so much acceptance in the wild for that. It's just like, there's no sense that I, there's more of a disconnect in just my engagement with civilization than there is in my engagement with sexuality. It's like, my nature is to be a sexual being. And that is really mirrored to me in the wild places. Um, nature is a very sensual place. And the more I connect with like my meditations with it, the more that I can see that sensuality. You know, I was reading the book, The Ethical Slut recently, and they're talking about how like the way that they define sex is like, you know, basically, she didn't say this, but it was like a, a reciprocation of energy. She's like, you know, we're having sex right now. She's like, we're talking to you and you're, you're taking this in, you know, it's like, a, and I don't know if I 100% agree with that definition, but I see what she's saying. I get yeah. the point. Yeah. It's like, it's a sensual experience. And when I'm in nature, it is a completely sensual experience. All the things that I'm hearing, all the things that I'm touching. That's why I like to take off my shoes. You know, that's why I like to stop and listen and pick up rocks and dirt and like make sounds, you know, um, feel things on my body, like get underwater, you know, feel the sun on my skin. You know, that is a very sensual thing. You know, light from millions of miles away is feeding the cells in my body. I mean, producing vitamin D, you know, it's an amazing experience. And the more that you can give into that sensation, the more that it feels, you know, the more that you, where the mind goes, energy flows, you know, like when you give attention to the, ex the sensual experience you're having, the more sensual it becomes, the more like sexual it becomes, the more like um, satisfying it becomes. And, you know, being a queer person in a rural area, you have to make do with what you got. So sometimes you just go outside and you just like feel the wind in your armpits and that's enough, you know, that's, that's my little dose of sensuality. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, there's a value in it, in finding the sensuality in your rhythm and in every moment. And you don't have to do that just in nature. I mean, you can do that in your shower and in your, you know, pampering yourself you know moisturize you better be moisturizing if you're older than 26 and you're not moisturizing get on it you know get sensual with yourself you know yes water Always your plant lubricating yes. <laughs> yes no really i mean drink water drink lots of water 
and have that be a sensual experience. You know, honestly, my water sensual experience has totally been kicked up a notch when I started drinking from springs. Um, I was, you know, tap water is great, you know, cool that we have city water and it comes out of the faucet and it's clean. That's great. If it's clean. Yeah. And it's clean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some places it's really not. And to me, I'm not super into chlorine in my water. I'm not, honestly. And the reason is, is because it doesn't feel like maybe it's in my mind, whatever. It doesn't feel alive to me. And the whole point of experiencing that sensuality is that like, you have to convince your mind that something is fun, you know? Like, even if it's a placebo, placebo is real. You know, placebo changes reality. It's like, when I take this thing and I think it's going to help me, it helps me, then it's then it's helping me, you know? Like, it's really real. So um, for me, there's a deep sensuality in gathering water from the earth. Like I'm very, very fortunate that, you know, 20 miles away from my house, there's a natural spring that's outfitted so that I can go fill up my containers and I drink that water and I know exactly where it came from. I feel it's like it's purity, you know, it's been tested. It's not like, you know, some like contaminated water source but um this it feels sensual to me because it takes me back to that place where I have a connection to and it reminds me that this water is a water is life you know water is part of the natural cycle and it's nourishing my body and that is like how you want to feel in your sex life too you know you want to feel like the things that you're putting in your body the things that you're exposing yourself to are nourishing and are hitting you on this deep level. And I think that's why, like, you know, like, you know, you and I over time have really, um, I think, related on that we're not, we don't have a lot of partners. And it's not because of choice, per se, you know, like, there's a lot, um, it is choice. It's a matter of options and choice. Like, we have a standard for what we, who we want to share ourselves with. And it's not saying that um, people aren't good enough, but it's, it's when it's like right for me, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's how I feel about the water. You know, this is the water that's right for me that I want to drink to feed my body. You know, these are the partners that I want to have that feel right to me. You know, um, sexuality is really just an extension of how you care for yourself. You know, who you choose to share yourself with is um, a reflection of how you value yourself, you know, and that connection, that sense of self-worth can really be boosted by a sense of belonging in your, your landscape, in your natural ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a big thing with that too, speaking on just being mindful about the people we connect with and our partners is that the the huge at least for me the huge reason behind that is that I know that the energies that I'm mixing with that becomes a part of me and so when we take that back to that idea of like that eco-sexuality that idea of allowing yourself consenting to being penetrated by nature being able to receive in the nourishment that the sun is going to give you or the nourishment from that spring water. It's the same idea of like, 
you know, we can have that sexual relationship, that, that receiving that deep penetration from nature, or we can choose to be deeply penetrated by these metal technological objects in our lives, you know, and at the end of the day, both are conceiving something inside of us. And so that's kind of where I see ecosexuality really coming into play on a large scale of that. It's not just about having this orgasmic experience, but it's about what are you birthing from what you are connecting to and melding yourself with. And what are you conceiving? I mean, you make a great point. I mean, really, I mean, you like I think we kind of forego um a mindfulness around consent when we're in our day-to-day lives at least I do you know I just kind of like look at my phone I'm not thinking like I'm gonna pick up my phone and I'm gonna consent to this thing that I'm doing it's just like I'm bored I'm reaching for my phone I'm just gonna like and that feels unconscious it feels like you know is that how you want to treat like it, it just in the analogy of partnership like is that how you would treat your partner just like reaching out and like wanting to have sex with them just you know unconsciously like or do we want to have a relationship with the things that we're integrating in our body where we're making a choice you know where we're saying i recognize what this is and i am choosing to copulate with it you know that's exactly right. Like you really hit a chord in me when you said that. Cause I think about like how, you know, I'll go scrolling for hours sometimes. And it's like, um, that is another, I'm consenting to merging with this, with, you know, with interfacing with this, this, I don't know what to call it. Like, you know, the technology. Experience. Right. Exactly. Well, and, and that's too, it goes into, the sexuality between us as human beings and the connections that we're cultivating. Like we have these dating apps, we have Tinder, we have Grindr, you know, all of these things out there that allow us to do exactly what you just said, to pick up the phone, to scroll through without even really like being mindful of the fact that we are looking at human beings, these beautiful conceptions of nature. And it, it totally takes away the, the human energy behind people. And so I think that it has shaped the way that we connect with people now that we have lost this connection to nature because now it's like, okay, well, I'm going to first instantly judge the person that I see on the screen in front of me. I'm going to take this person and break them down into body parts. And then in person, in my day-to-day interactions with those people, I'm going to choose to meet up with them and just like have sex and that's it. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I am not shaming or yucking anyone's yum, whatever you want to do in your life, however you want to get your goods, you get it. Okay. But (laughs) at the end of the day, I do think it's important to have the conversation around how is technology affecting our relationships well that's exactly it girl it's like look at how it's affecting you like you know regardless of what it's designed to do or what our propensity is as human beings how is it affecting me to go on instagram for this amount of time how is it affecting me to pick up grinder or tinder you know really paying attention bringing that mindfulness aspect into it because it's like it's happening whether you choose it or not you know whether you choose to look at it or not it's happening 
So it's like, I want to be aware of how it's working on me. And the answer for me is like, my attention span is whacked. Like I am, you know, constantly, I'm unable to hold a thought in my mind, you know, and it's been um, affected by my engagement with technology. And I've, you know, I do these little experiments at home with yourself, you know, like, what is it like when I turn off screens two hours before bed? Can I do that? Do I have that sort of connection with it? What is it like when I try to bring sensuality back into my connection with technology? Like, you know, we used to look at, you know, pictures with so much more, I think, appreciation. You know, when when you go through Instagram or Tumblr, the it's like the image has been cheapened. It's like, because it's just so much of it. And you could just scroll from one thing to the next. And it's like, it's losing that central experience for me. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, I agree with that. I agree with that. And you know, it makes me think about another disconnection from the fact that we used to paint with oils and with minerals from the earth. And now we create our art through digital mediums. And, and so it, it really just kind of cycles back to the whole theme of this conversation of like, nature and that connection to nature is what allows us to really be present with everything in our lives. And I love just that idea of of doing those little experiments with yourself. I mean, another one would be how long can you go outside and just sit and be in nature without music, without your phone, without anything, and just listen to the sounds around you. And, you know, I know that like, that's not always ideal for people. A lot of us live in cities and we're hearing the sounds of people driving by with their technology, technology, their music or whatever going on. But still, at the end of the day, being able to be present, it's still something we can practice. And I think that the earth is always teaching us like how to just hold space, how to just be. Just looking out my window at this tree in my apartment complex, it's like, this tree sits here every day in the same space. And no matter what's going on around it, it's just there. It's a pillar. And we have the ability to reflect that at times. But what's also really beautiful about this tree is that it's not just never changing what it is. In the summer, it's green and full of fruit and lusciousness. And in the wintertime, it's letting go of its leaves. And so I think it's a beautiful reminder that being present doesn't mean staying stuck in one place. It's actually allowing for the natural flow of things to, to happen in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And you know, there isn't a judgment story. There's no purity. There's no purist mentality here about like, um, like where you can connect with presence and where you can't. You know, I did make that distinction about the wild earlier, and there is a reason I did that, because I think that the effect that it has on the human mind is very different, and I think that there is a potency there, and that's kind of a, a tangent conversation, but when we're talking about presence, when you're talking about bringing sensuality back into your life, you can do that anywhere. Like, when you're talking about going out and sitting in a city and listening to what you hear, that can be a sensual experience. Like, bring sensuality back into your day-to-day life, because the more that you do that, the more that you'll 
start to awaken your senses, the more that you're going to start to want to connect with things that have more tactile experience. I mean, if you just think about how our brains have evolved, what our bodies are like, there's a difference between painting with oils, painting with minerals, and painting on the computer. You know, our bodies have a sensual relationship with collecting um, oils and minerals and creating paint and then working with our hands. You know, there's a certain um, dimension of tactile experience that's lost in the technological age. And that really brings back sensuality. And the more that you bring sensuality in, the more that you realize your body has a hunger for this sort of nature-based experiences. And, you know, I realized this when I first started foraging, you know, I never learned, quote unquote, how to forage. You know, I learned from teachers what to forage and where to forage, but my body speaks this language. You know, it, it gets in certain positions that I'm never in and it starts picking things up. And it's just an inherent language that's, you know, been passed down from child to, from child, mother to child, from father to child for generations. It's in your body. Your body knows and wants this experience. And when I realized that, you know, when I put myself in positions where I was foraging and my body was just doing it, like it was like, it was like it was in my right place. Like my body just felt like this is what I'm here to do. You know, like my my brain is perfectly designed to pick out the pine nuts from the pine needles. And my hands are perfectly designed to pick them up, you know, and, and my brain knows how to, where to put them, how to make baskets. You know, it's just, it's, it uses all of your faculties. And it's like a, a deeply sensual experience because you're engaging every part of yourself and you're, you're connecting with the land in a way that you feel like you belong in it. And that's the biggest loss, I think, about our, our comfort life, our civ life, our technological life is we don't have a sense of belonging. Like we don't feel like we belong. And I think that's because we're not engaging our senses. We're not engaging our, our in the dance with reality. You know, our bodies are starting to kind of languish. And I think that's a, that's a big problem. It's a huge problem. It's really sad. And, and, you know, I, I love how you explained how we are built to, to understand almost like the language of nature. We speak the same language of, of being able to go out into the wild and de- determine, you know, what to pick as to what to leave. And, and it, it takes me back to uh, when I was teaching at Beloved Music Festival um, in the Red Tent. I had some friends who were there, and they were also setting up the BIPOC tent. And so I went in there, and they had this really beautiful um, workshop on decolonizing white herbalism. And the entire workshop, I mean, it was just the most amazing thing, because what we did was we talked about how it's not, you don't have to have a degree to connect to herbs and nature. You pick up a plant, you sit with it, you listen to it. And and it goes back to what we were saying earlier in the episode about how you learn how to hear that, that inner voice. You can learn how to hear nature in the exact same way. And and that's how we gained the knowledge of what these different herbs 
do for our bodies is by just allowing ourselves to be in that sensual connection and sleep with these herbs and and put them in our mouths and taste, touch, and smell and do all of these things that let them share the information with us in that way. And I think it's something that we as our bodies deteriorate and become more artificial and connected to artificial intelligence and technology, you know, are we going to be able to do that in the future? We, we are humans who evolve based on our surroundings. And so are we going to lose that connection to being able to decipher, you know, and understand the language of nature in the future? I think that's, you know, um, a really good point. I think I was going to, you know, just when you're talking about the language of nature, think about it like that, you know, language, you don't become fluent in a language if you don't practice it. And something that's different about this language is that on a level, on a cellular level, we know how to speak it. You know, it's not like I'm going in, you know, to a, a language family that's totally unrelated to mine and just expected to just learn it. But even then, there's body language, you know, we have an innate intelligence and cultivating and allowing that intelligence to emerge makes you more adaptable in these situations where you're trying to connect with nature. So just... um seeking out opportunities where you can kind of put aside your thinking mind that is when your body's intelligence your soul's intelligence the the intelligence that has been gathered by your ancestors and passed down to you in your dna can emerge you know that's honestly what i felt like what made me able to interface with nature in the way that i did was my meditation practice like I noticed like when I was meditating, when I was creating space for my thinking mind to kind of take a break, I could connect with other parts of my intelligence. And I noticed that in the beginning when I was climbing trees, like I would, I would be in the moment, have to not think about how I was going to climb this tree. I had to not strategize. I had to just let it happen and my body did the rest of the work you know that's my body my body wants to swim and it wants to climb trees and climb rocks that's what it does you know and everybody's different but when we give our bodies a chance to 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 teach us that's when that language starts to emerge and when you go into wild places that's the language you need to be able to speak you know because nature will mirror back to you whatever you bring into it you know that's like kind of like a law of the universe in my experience it's just like whatever sort of mind story you're bringing that's exactly what you're going to be mirrored back like if you're bringing in all this anxiety and this fear of of abandonment or this fear of scarcity or this need to control you're going to be challenged and it's not going to be easy and that's what we were talking about earlier you know the resistance in the wild if you're bringing all this stuff with you, which you are, doesn't matter if you meditate a thousand hours a day, you're going to be bringing with you a story 
and it's going to be something you're going to have discomfort facing. But if you're practiced in, in accepting that story and understanding where it's coming from, you can start to maneuver and manipulate it. You can become that, that mage. You know, you can start to, to actually transform it and recognize the things that are serving you and the things that are not serving you and put those aside and then start to have a sensual conversation with your landscape and start to let your body move you. And that doesn't mean that you're just turning off your mind. You know, it doesn't mean that you're just throwing everything out the window. It just means that there's a more a rhythmic sensorium experience. And sensorium is a word that I've heard in um, Anne Carol Gwynn, which is a fairy book. And it talks about the sensorium, which is like basically everything around you, that sensual experience, the sensory experience that's happening all around you all the time. And how when we connect with that, we're connecting with this sort of magic channel, this like, um, this really deep presence. And um, that's what I think a lot of us are really uncomfortable with connecting with because we carry a lot of discomfort. We carry a lot of shame. We carry a lot of fear. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, and that's okay at the end of the day. I mean, even the animals in nature have fear, you know, it's, it's a, a natural part of us and every emotion that we experience is there to help us navigate our lives. And, when you were talking about just taking our stories into the wild and learning how to accept and be in acceptance with what's going to come up, it made me think about uh, a retreat I recently went on with Heather Ashamara, who we have an episode, an interview with on the podcast as well. She's an amazing human being. And we, she has, she owns a plot of land in New Mexico and she was teaching a lot of us. And, and, and this was all kinds of women that were there. These are women that came from cities. There were women like me who came from rural areas. At the time, I was living in Ashland, Oregon. And, you know, we all were placed on her land, this beautiful, like vast, super wild piece of land with tents. And we were there for about a week. And she was telling us, you know, this is a space where we experience monsoons and, and in New Mexico, if any of you have ever been there, it's gorgeous because the skies are so wide open and you can literally see weather coming in and, and going out. And it's this really amazing experience for anybody who has never had the, the opportunity to really sit and notice how nature works with these ups and downs of energy that happen. But, you know, it's, it's like with animals, they, are so connected that they can sense when weather is coming in and they know, okay, I need to get to high country or I need to get to a lower place, whatever is happening. And I think that that really is a good example for how, you know, as we take our stories out into the, the wild with us, how we are able to move through the resistance that comes up. Nature is teaching us how to do it all the time. And then what's really beautiful about that is we can take it back into our lives because whether we like it or not, we are a part of the society. We are part of these communities and we have to know how to function in it. But that's how cultivating that relationship to nature can help us function is that we can learn how to be present and also move with the ebbs and the flows of 
the energy that's coming at us on a day-to-day basis. And whether it's internal with the ebbs and flows of our emotion or external with ebbs and flows of our society and the safety in our society versus the calm in our society and everything else. And so I think that at the end of the day, that's how it all ends up just connecting back to each other or to itself and to everything in a really beautiful way. Um, Something else that you mentioned, Manu, was your meditation practice. And so I know personally that you are deeply connected to your your guides and um, to nature and being guided by nature. And you do this through your meditation practice. And I was hoping that maybe you'd be open to sharing a practice with us, with our listeners today, that they can use no matter where they are in the world where they want to just connect to that feeling of being held and guided by nature. Yeah, I would love to share. Um, I think something that came up while you were speaking that I wanted to speak to was that um, it can get really overwhelming to have expectations on yourself to like do something perfectly and to like, you know, it can get overwhelming when you think about like how immersed you are in certain behaviors or how much, what you want to be. And I just want to point out that that feeling of overwhelm that like prevents you from acting is completely not useful. It's like this, um, this thing that is self-defeating, like um, recognize, you know, if you're, if you resonate with things that we're talking about and you're, kind of recognizing a a sense of anxiety in you to like really want to be a certain way or get out or like you're overwhelmed by your certain circumstances like try to bring some gentleness in to this um into the you know contextualize your experience and remember that it's not you don't have to expect yourself to get it all right all the time and you don't have to be exactly where you want to be the whole point of this practice that i've been developing with myself and learning from others is that you just have to meet yourself where you are you have to be gentle with yourself and you take one step at a time you know it's like you maybe you're not going to be i'm not going to live the way i want to live in my lifetime but i am going to nurture the seeds you know it's not going to make it less possible if I nurture those seeds you know what I mean it's like it might not ever come to fruition the way I want but it's not gonna like if I don't nurture those seeds then I know that it won't happen so that's just something I want to say um in terms of like an a practice that I could provide for those that are listening that want to feel a connection, um, uh, the thing that is coming to me right now is just tree, 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 tree. Trees are everywhere. And yeah, you might look like, you know, if you live in an apartment building and the only tree near you is like on a sidewalk or in a park, it might look a little weird, but this is not about other people. It's not how you appear to the world. This is about your connection. This is about your sense of belonging. And, you know, my gateway meditation ally was trees. They were the ones that 
were able to show up for me and tell me, you know, we love you. We accept you. Even if you're in this world and participating in this story, we, we're here for you. So I would suggest finding ideally a tree where you can have some space to yourself and going and sitting at the base of the tree and closing your eyes with your back up against the tree and sinking into the ground, letting your breath get heavy and letting your mind get light, noticing the thoughts that are bubbling up. And like I said before, not identifying with them, letting them pass through your mind like like water, letting them flow through. I'm taking those thoughts that are really hard to let go of and lifting them to the sky like Chinese lanterns and letting them float away. And in that process of just continuing to flush out your mind, sink deeper into the ground. Imagine at the base of your spine that you're, you have roots that connect and tap in to the root system of the tree. And then feel your breath connecting you closer with that tree. Breathing as you, the breathing allows you to become an integrated system. Feeling the energy of that tree moving in your body, feeling your energy entering the tree's body, moving up all the way to the top of the tree where oxygen is expelled into the atmosphere, down into the earth where water is soaked up and starting to just sink into that cycle of reciprocity energetically with this tree. And if you feel like you get to a point where you're, you have some clarity or some mindful presence, ask a question, you know, put your hand over your heart and ask a question to this tree. And this is really important. Do not judge what happens next. Do not try to explain it. Do not try to understand it exactly. Don't bring doubt into this practice. Doubt defiles the sacredness of this practice. It doesn't belong here. This is a place for you to explore. And it's a, not a place for judgment. So ask a question. Put your hand on your heart and wait for an answer. Listen, breathe, listen. And I think you'll be surprised at what comes up. An easy question, what do I need to know right now to be where I want to be? What is it that I need to see right now? What is it that I need to hear right now? Don't judge the way the answer comes. Maybe it comes in an image. Maybe it comes in a word. Maybe it comes in a song. Maybe it comes in a, in like a, a song that you've heard on the radio bubbling up in your head. Don't judge the answer. Just sit with it and express gratitude for the tree, for the space that you have, and for yourself for giving yourself the opportunity to listen. Mm. Thank you so much, Manu. That is absolutely divine and a very sensual practice, a very beautiful practice. And I hope that 
our listeners out there are able to meet themselves where they are and and gain what they need from that practice. And I hope that they gain what they need from this entire interview. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today and dropping your beautiful truth and knowledge on us all and just allowing us to remember the importance of connecting to nature in all the ways. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love coming into Sexy Sacred Space and creating it in my everyday place. And I just love the chemistry that we have. I love you so much. I want to support you 100%. So I'm glad that, you know, you could find some usefulness in my crazy amazing journey through life. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you for being so crazy amazing. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. That's our episode for today. I hope you feel empowered to go out into the world and make space for others or just take up some space for your sexy self. You're worth it. If you enjoyed this podcast, I want to know about it. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and listen with your friends because ain't no party like a podcast party, y'all. The music for today's podcast was gifted by Southern Oregon hip-hop artist and producer, Jaya Rays. You can hear more of his amazing music on iTunes. That's J-A-Y-A Rays. Catch you on the next episode. Here is space, here's a wave like crushed by the way. Here your heart, here's you clearly, what will you say? Here is heat, here you speak, here's a wheel that turns eternally. A lot of nothing, absolute and empty, just like me.